everyone, and welcome to our third episode of Spark After Hours, a podcast where we talk about all things STEAM. My name is Nicole, and I'll be your host for today. For those that haven't been following us for a while, Spark is a youth-led nonprofit organization founded in 2018, where we want to engage students in the world of STEAM, persisting of science, technology, engineering, arts, and mathematics. Normally, we host 24-hour hackathons for high school students, but of course, due to the pandemic, many of our in-person events shifted to virtual events. In fact, this summer, we hosted our first virtual hackathon, Spark From Home, where our participants came up with innovative solutions to the theme that we presented while participating in workshops and activities as well. So of course, today we have a special guest here to talk about app design, engineering, and entrepreneurship. Please welcome Janelle Hines. All right, thank you so much. I am very honored and excited to be on this podcast slash video. Like, I'm very excited to talk about STEM, not just STEM, but STEAM. Yeah. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself before we begin? For sure. So um, my uh, educational background, I am an electrical and biomedical engineer. Um, so I went to McMaster for anyone who know, um, might not know where McMaster is. It's in Hamilton, which is about an hour, hour and a half away from, you know, Toronto, all dependent on traffic. Um, I really loved it there um, because the program was like kind of a mixture where we got all the requirements for electrical engineering. So understanding how electricity works, circuits, understanding electromagnetism. Um, but we also had a lot of courses in, um, in what we would call biomedical engineering, specifically still focused on the electrical side. Um, so biomedical, when you combine and look at biomedical electrical engineering, it meant looking at things like MRIs, which, you know, again, is electric magnetism, um, looking at prosthetics, um, to looking at other medical imaging. So basically anything you can think with the body and has to do with electricity. So pacemakers was a big one. Um, so we looked at not only um, and we had to take some, you know, basic biology and chemistry courses so we understood how the human body worked. Um, and one thing I just want to say is when people are here, biomedical engineer, um, you know, the it, biomedical engineering really was the application of various different types of engineering, just focused on either the human body or something related to biology. Um, so there's biochemical engineering, um, which also then would look at how you process um, different, so like looking at, for example, we can't just put anything into the body. So biomaterials, biochemical, um, would look at for pacemakers, which materials do you put into the body um, and how would they react? Um, how long would they last in the body? Yeah. Like you said, of course, biomedical engineering is a great integration between medicine, health science and engineering. So for anyone who's sort of debating which one to go into, of course, this is a great option for university and beyond. So I'm curious to know what really got you interested in electrical and biomedical engineering? Yeah, so I will, I've told a couple people uh, this story. 
Uh, so when I was in high school, this is a grade 10. Like I remember this like day so clearly. Um, I was on HowStuffWorks.com and I was checking how printers work, which is actually very fascinating. And I never would have assumed that's how a printer works like at all. Um, and on the side, there was this picture of a robotic arm. And I was like, ooh, that looks interesting. Clicked on it, read the entire article. And I was just like, holy damn, like this could be a role. Are you kidding me? I get to like, there's a role where someone gets to make robotic arms. Um, and something that always had touched me growing up was watching people um, that lost, you know, use of their limbs, you know, whether it was um, a birth defect or they lost it through an accident, like the war amp video the commercials used to like want to make me cry. And I was like, oh my God, this would be so perfect. I really loved, I, I did notice at that time already, it was really clear already by grade seven that I love technology, like give me, and I mean, everything from computers when I got a used computer when I was younger, instead of like going on the internet and just like, you know, browsing different websites, I was like, how does this computer work? Let me go into like all the different settings. Um, but I also really loved physical things like give me a Phillips screwdriver and I'm like, cool, let me go fix something. Um, so I kind of already knew I wanted to like work something within tech. Um, and at that time, didn't really know much about computer science, like uh, STEM wasn't really being talked about in the way that it is being talked about today. Saw this article and was like, yes, I want to do this. But I was devastated because whatever they called in the, I can't remember what they called it, it was bio something else. And when I searched it up for like, tried to look for universities in Canada, nothing came up. It was like something uh, in um, the Slavic countries and one or two schools in the US. And I was like devastated. I went and talked to my, uh, my grade 10 science teacher and told her about it. And she's like, have you tried biomedical engineering? Searched it up. I'm like, oh my God, that exists here in Canada. So one recommendation I always say is like, you know, a lot of times we don't know what we don't know. Um, so if you are stuck on something, like always ask someone else, like they might know the answer or they might even give you a question, like a prompt that makes you think about it in a different way. And you can search Google in a way that maybe you weren't searching the right term before. Yeah, I think it's like really important to know where your passions lie while in vent before you figure out really what you want to see yourself doing for the rest of your life. And it's okay if that's not what you end up doing because everything is a learning process. And I know that you have a background in electrical and biomedical engineering, but throughout that, you also gain a strong interest in app design and programming. So what really interested you in this other sector field? Sure. And I think the point you, you brought up a great point that, you know, definitely know where your passions lie. And I think focusing on your passions is way more than like, what is the specific job role? Because so many jobs are being created that didn't exist sometimes by the time you're gonna be finished. Because when I was in grade 10, um, what event, I think the iPhone was out for maybe a year or two. And like, so it wasn't like popular yet. It was still like a very inaccessible, expensive device. Um, but by the time I had finished high school, I already started noticing that, um, you know, cell, phone, cell phones started becoming more popular and mainstream. Um, and basically when I went to university, uh, I was I already started had learning some programming language and one weekend I was like uh, Blackberry was like we'll give you a free Blackberry if you make a couple apps for us and I was like I could study for a math test 
or I could make some free apps and get myself a free Blackberry. Um, so I started, I just one weekend decided to teach myself um, how to make an app. Um, my very first app was a date and duration calculator. So you can say today's X date, what is it in 66 days um, and figure out what day that is. Or you have two dates, you're like, how many days, you know, happened between those two days. Um, so that was my very first that I built all in one weekend. Yeah, that's definitely a Blackberry. I mean, that sounds pretty engaging and something that I would probably want a free phone if I were to create apps and really get to know my passions through that. Um, so of course, with app design comes a lot of programming. So I'm sure that you have many programming languages that you especially use for app design. So can you tell us a bit about what programming languages go into app design and which ones are really useful? For sure. So I really a big problem with, uh, with choosing programming language is actually kind of choosing what device or what type of app you want to make. So if you want to do Android, um, uh, which is the first one that I made and the one that I'm most comfortable in. And even yesterday I got a request from someone saying like, hey, do you want to come and be an Android developer for me? Uh, so I learned Java. Um, Java is kind of runs, so Java is, you know, another very popular programming language. Um, I had already started learning that a little bit um, before I started making the app. So that day it wasn't like I was learning how to do Java and learning how to do Android. Um, it's more just focused on how do I apply uh, Java to Android. Um, so if you wanted to, for example, uh, um, do on iOS, um, it used to be, I'm, I'm gonna feel bad if it's either C-sharp, I feel like it was C-sharp or C++, I feel like it was C-sharp, but I might be wrong, honestly. Um, and now they have like Xcode and even um, Android, they're starting now as they get more um, developed and they've been around for, you know, over a decade at this point, have actually started making some of their own specific languages uh, for those. But the one that I, I suggest a lot of people when they want to get started um, is a lot of people already started learning how to make websites. So learning HTML, CSS, and JavaScript, so not Java, JavaScript. Um, is that you can make what they call like cross-platform or web apps. So it's basically making a website, but it will you would design it so it looks like a mobile app. Um, so when someone opens your app, they're basically just opening what looks like what is really kind of like a website. So that's kind of the easy way that I really suggest people to get started. I know that when I was trying to figure out which programming language I should start with first, I had a difficult time choosing which programming language I should get started with because there were so many out there. And so for beginners, what programming language would you suggest for them to learn first before moving on to more advanced ones? Yeah, so I mean, if you're saying start from scratch, like no, um, not saying like specifically for app design, I would also again suggest JavaScript. I like the idea of um, when you're learning programming languages, having something that you can physically like see, because there's some like satisfaction you get from being like, oh, I designed this, I can see it. Versus um, if you're doing what they call backend work, um, so that might be like looking at databases or things on a server. It's not to me, 
as fun. Um, some people love it by all means. But I think for beginners, learning how to make a website, so doing it from scratch, not using a template. So learning a little bit of HTML, um, which is kind of, if you imagine it's the frame of the house, um, CSS is the colors of the house um, and like the style that you're, you know, you decided to design your house. And then uh, JavaScript is, does the housework, you know, do the doors open, um, you know, is the plumbing working? Um, so that's a great way to start. And JavaScript is a bait. Uh, once you learn JavaScript and you learn about programming languages, I think the one thing that a lot of people don't realize is a lot of it carries on to different languages. So that's called uh, object-oriented programming, which means you, for example, have the door and you're like, I'm going to do something to the door. Um, and once you learn JavaScript, you can learn so many other languages. There's Python, there's Java. They're not exactly the same, but you'll notice a lot of patterns that is you can spend an hour or two and be like, oh, I understand how to make the same program in both languages. Yeah, and I think something that's really important as well is not to just do like an online course in programming without sort of starting a side project or something you're passionate about doing using that language. Because once you start implementing it, either by creating a website from scratch, like you suggested, or creating like a really simple game on some sort of platform, you start to get more engaged with what you're doing. And that really helped, I think, with learning programming as well. For sure. And I mean, I realized that one of the first ones I learned was Flash, which is now a dead as of, I guess, a couple of days ago. Yeah. Uh, but it was fun. Like, I remember making around Halloween this whole like, game where you had like ghosts coming after you and you had to like try to like get rid of the ghost. And it was so much more entertaining to build that than to be like, I am building this thing and it is like just do it X, Y, and Z. Like it's so much fun if you build a game or build something that you're like, cool. And it's also nice that you can show it off to friends um, or in interviews or job applications or scholarship applications, you have something that you can actually show off. Yeah, the things that you're passionate about really shine more than the things you just did for the sake of doing it really. So I think that was a great point that you brought up as well. Now we're going to move on to our little break segment where we're going to be discussing our sponsor for this episode and our Instagram story contest. So this episode is sponsored by Balsamic, a leader in the user interface wireframing market. You can use Balsamic Cloud software to generate digital sketches of your original ideas for apps and websites before implementing any sort of code. We are grateful to Balsamic for their support of our initiative, and it's great to check out their software, especially if you're a beginner, trying to see how you can visualize your ideas and bring them to life. So recently, we had a contest question on our story for you to answer. This episode's question was, have you created an app? If so, what kind of app did you create? Congratulations at jmeal.d, who created an app using Java, and make sure to follow SparkHacks on Instagram for more updates and contests. So now awesome. we're gonna I'm going to give a big shout out to Balsamic. Uh, I have used them multiple times for designing before before I start just, just like doing the app. I would use them multiple times to design what my app is going to look like. 
yeah, prototyping and wireframing is just really helpful for you to just visualize what you want to do before implementing all of that technical programming work. Yeah, it's awesome. So I know that you are no stranger to hackathons, having experience organizing some of them yourself. Um, can you provide input on the idea of hackathons and whether they prepare students for university or even the workplace? Yeah, so that is, a, I think, a tough question. Um, you know, it, I think, yes, you definitely get experience out of them. I wouldn't say go to a hackathon and you're like, I understand the workplace. Um, it's two very different types of coding. You're just like, you did a hackathon, you're like, I just want to get this done versus when you're in the workplace, you have to care about efficiency and like how long does the server take to load? Because um, you imagine if Google's website, main website took minutes to load each time, no one would ever use it. Um, but so from my experience with hackathons is I actually went to one of the earliest hackathons um, that happened um, here in Canada, realized it was amazing. And I was like, why isn't this like happening more? Um, ended up uh, connecting to some people um, at other universities. So I was at McMaster. Uh, so primarily at that time, it was McGill, U of T, and Waterloo. Um, and we all kind of started organizing to have some of the first student-run hackathons um, here in Canada. Um, and I would say it was such an interesting process because at that time, no one knew what hackathons were. Um, having to try to convince employers to sponsor you when they like the word hack is just in it was uh such a great learning lesson for me um even the school i had to like go and talk to the main it one person be like please don't ban us from the campus like wi-fi um but the one difference is so i created uh hack it mac which first actually concentrated on helping students go to different uh, hackathons. So we would organize the whole buses um, and actually go to, at that time, mainly the US because Canada didn't really have a lot of hackathons at that time. Um, and then eventually um, hosted our own hackathon called uh, Delta Hacks. Do you know what Delta, the symbol Delta stands for? Change in. Yeah, change in whatever, you know, thing yeah. you're talking about. So um, someone we were, I very much knew I wanted talking about passion, but I wanted to make our hackathon a little bit different from other hackathons. At that time, hackathons didn't have themes. Like hackathons were very much supposed to be this creative expression of doing whatever you wanted that weekend. Um, and usually at the university level, it was the entire weekend. Um, so 48 hours instead of 24 hours or 12 hours. Um, and um, I was like, you know what, I'm gonna be different. I was talking to a bunch of people in the US to be a part of the, there was like a hackathon series and it was such a difficult conversation, but convinced them to be like, no, this is the way we're gonna do it. We're going to have a hackathon where everyone has whatever they make, whether it's a website, an app, or um, a you know ro robot. It has to be for the good of society. Um, so in our very first year at Delta Hacks, um, so again, hackathon for change, um, uh, a group of first-year students actually built something that would watch 
your YouTube videos, uh, kind of quickly run a script, run, watch, look at the YouTube video and see if there was any um, flashing lights or repeating patterns specifically tar to help target people who have epilepsy, make sure that they don't accidentally trigger their epilepsy. And for me, it was amazing to know in one weekend, a group of, you know, someone like first year students that usually are the people that kind of put down being like, you don't know anything, you're, you know, you're a brand new student, built something that could save multiple lives. Um, and it was really interesting later on because uh, about a year or two after, there was a big, um, someone actually wrote a computer virus to particularly target people with epilepsy. So anyone who would have, would have had this, would have, it would have saved them. Um, so for me, I think it's really cool that hackathons are a great way to build a skill, but also get a chance to give back to society. Right, the giving back part and using innovation to come up with creative solutions to many problems that society faces, like you mentioned, a lot epilepsy and um, there being a lack of resources for people with epilepsy to really understand if a video is going to show something that would trigger it. And I think that's the main gist about hackathons, being able to innovate and network with others to create solutions that help society as well. And of course, as the director, sure. I think and... <laughs> oh no, go ahead. <laughs> okay, sorry. So Janelle is the executive director and founder of Helping Hands. Can you tell us about your organization and what inspired you to create it? For sure. So um, Helping Hands is an organization that's focused on uh, helping supporting students develop their careers and their skills through volunteering, um, experiential education, and entrepreneurship. Um, it is both an app and we are like a traditional nonprofit. So we go in, we have workshops, we host fairs, we have mentorship, um, a lot of like free resources as a nonprofit, uh, but we also are working on an app. Um, I actually had originally started working on the app first because um, based on my high school experience, I noticed a lot of people were struggling to figure out where to do their volunteer hours, um, even struggling to track the hours. I was definitely one of those people that I did my hours and I was like, I don't want to do these little small pieces of paper. Like, no. Um, and I'm referring to, for anyone listening um, that's in Ontario, the 40 hours of community service you have to do in order to graduate. Um, and the problem kept bothering me. Like, it was just always in the back of my mind. I would be doing schoolwork and some, you know, my physics course, and I would be thinking about this problem. And I was like, you know what? Someone needs to solve it. So I started kind of learn. Uh, one thing that really spurred me learning app development was eventually to be able to make this app. Um, so we've kind of gone through a couple of different iterations of it, using things like Balsamic to, you know, practice my wireframes. Um, to kind of lay out what the app would look like. Um, but along the way, kind of realized that um, even though I started with the app, a lot of students kind of needed support, um, like someone that they can talk to that would be a mentor for them. Um, so we kind of decided to kind of branch out. And now I have um, actually a staff of six people that, you know, work full time at my organization. So can you tell us about any challenges that you faced with starting your organization and how you overcame those challenges? 
So many challenges. <laughs> I mean, um, trying to build an app in the nonprofit space, um, like it is beyond difficult. A lot of organizations really don't understand um, the importance of technology. Like they're like, cool, well, like have a website that people can come and see what our, you know, our organization's about. Um, but the use of data, even data, like trying to get enough data to be able to do this has actually been the biggest problem. Like designing the app is way easier. Um, getting enough data to keep the app running um, is really our primary challenge. Um, and just general trying to start a nonprofit is really difficult. There's, you know, some uh, to hire staff that costs so much money. There's all these little things to do. Um, and for me, I'm a really big into equity. So, you know, it's not as simple as us just hosting a workshop and being like, cool, like we did it. Like I make sure that if we host a workshop, we're covering the cost of food. If people need, you know, bus tickets to get there, I'll cover that cost. So it's a lot of fundraising to do. Um, so it's for me, it's always, it's really interesting just being on the verge of both the tech world and the nonprofit world. and we don't sit in either, we're kind of between both. Um, it has been both challenging, but both very rewarding um, because that even with the skill set I built up at the beginning of COVID, our organization was a partially remote organization already. Like most of my um, staff and volunteers already worked from home. Um, so we had a lot of good processes in place. So when COVID started, we transitioned within a day um, to being fully remote and um, I was able to actually spend a bunch of my time helping a lot of other nonprofits transition. Right so of course because of the pandemic especially many entrepreneurs are facing unprecedented challenges with operating their business and figuring out how they can continue their work from home. So what do you think are the biggest challenges that entrepreneurs are facing at this time? Um, I think it's just that things are so different and that a lot of times the same processes you have in place just aren't going to work. And even little simple things like people who do shipping, um, Canada Post and even in the U.S. shipping is just the volumes have gone up ridiculously right now. Um, so a lot of times I know people are complaining that their shipment's late and they're blaming the entrepreneur. It's like it, they, they can't do anything they can't make your you know shipments do so now they're getting bad reviews and now it's stressing them out um so i think there's all these little challenges that are just uh people are facing but you know i think the one good thing about um you know stem is that a lot of those classes do like so anyone who goes to stem you kind of learn the classes sometimes are a lot <laughs> uh people are very stressed sometimes when you talk to them especially around exam time but I think you learn a lot about diversity when other people sometimes are stressed. I'm like, Psh, if I passed engineering, I could do anything. So I think it's helped me out. Yeah, definitely. Well, of course, um, there are many challenges that come with being a woman in STEM, especially a colored woman in STEM. And do you think um, you faced any difficulties or obstacles in university or in the workplace being a woman of color instead? Sure. I think, you know, um, it, it, there's like both parts being a woman and a person of color definitely kind of get this like double whammy, double like edged sword 
Um, you know, I remember when I, so that, that weekend I made that Blackberry app, um, I got it, my, my closest friends knew about it. Like it wasn't like I was going around telling people about it. And I had these two random guys, do not know them. They were in engineering, come up to me and tell me um, that if it, I could do it, it must be so easy, anyone could do it. And they didn't say it in this like nice way to be like, oh, like it was the easy thing. It was very much putting me down being like, like you aren't really capable of doing stuff. And I've had guys be like, um, you know, I was very fortunate because I was an early app developer. A lot of companies were interested in me uh, for co-op. And this is like before, you know, again, at this time, like app development was not a thing students were doing. Um, so I stood out on my resume and I had people say, oh, you only got this interview because you're a black woman. And I'm like, how do they know I'm a black woman for my resume? Nothing, like nothing on my resume says that. Um, so, you know, I've had a lot of people just think that my success is, I've had like both ways, like where people think everything I've gotten has just been because people feel bad for me or something. And I'm like, no, I've worked hard um, for everything I've gotten. I've also had people walk in, I, especially as an entrepreneur, I'm very, you know, young. <laughs> I've had people, so I usually, a lot of times I'm the youngest person a lot of times when I go to events. Um, but I've had people be like, whose assistant are you? Or like, who's, you know, are you like, or at tech events, I've had multiple people think, oh, I'm just here as a designer. And I'm like, nothing wrong with that. But the assumption that women can't be engineers, um, I've never taken off my engineering ring. Um, the one time I lost it doing, lost it doing dishes, like I immediately went and got one because like, it is that part where like, yes, as a woman, you do have to sometimes put more effort to make sure that you get the respect that you deserve. Um, it's unfortunate, but I'm happy and hopeful that things are changing. Right, of course, that stigma is still around in not only educational environments, but also the workplace. But I think there are many resources out there to help girls and women, especially those who are starting out in STEM to connect with other females that have experiences to share. And I think that's something that's positive, which came out of the challenges that girls and women have been facing in the past. For sure. Um, There's definitely so many resources yeah. out there. And I'm pretty sure you guys provide amazing resources. And if anyone ever has any questions and wants to message me, by all means, my so, by the way, social media is on here. They can feel free to reach out and I can always uh, provide different resources that I know about. Um, but again, you know, I think I would love to speak to, you know, the non-women that are listening to this and be like, it's also on you to make sure that when you hear someone saying a sexist joke um, or you see that, a, you know, a classmate in a group project isn't getting the credit they deserve for doing the group project, within the group project, that you actually speak out about that. Because the problem with women isn't that women aren't capable, it's that they're not being recognized as being capable. Right. It's on society's part. Everyone should be willing and accepting of promoting diversity and equality for all genders and races. For sure. So now we can wrap up our little chat with some fun rapid fire questions. In this little section, I'll be asking you a series of short questions, um, either asking you to describe something or asking you about whether you prefer option one or option two. Okay. 
And you have to think of the first one that comes to your mind when I ask them. Okay. So number one, what is one word that describes you? Uh, empathetic. Okay. Java or Python? I think I know what you would say. I want to actually say Python. It's so much oh. easier to learn. <laughs> it is easier to learn. I was just thinking Java because you mainly use that one. I love Java, but I would recommend, like, first thing that came up was, like, Python because that is, like, the way easier to learn. <laughs> Apple or Android? Ooh, I am an Apple person. I have I got an Apple Watch, but I love Android. <laughs> so I'll say Apple. <laughs> okay. Early riser or night owl? Ooh, night owl. Easy. <laughs> Easy. Yep, that's same. I used to be an early riser, but that changed. No, I was never. I was definitely the stay up late and finish all my projects. Tea or coffee? Ooh, tea. I love chai. <laughs> What is something you can't do? Take a break. It's really bad. It's one thing I think that a lot of people who go through some of these programs, we are high, like people who are high achievers, we put a lot of stress on ourselves and don't know how to take yeah. a break. I think taking a break is especially important. Um, in university, it's something that is crucial to like not only being able to get your sleep, but also like being able to concentrate. Sure, and when I look back at some of my favorite memories from university, it wasn't like sitting there in class, it was the friends I made, it was the breaks I did take, the funny jokes we made in between, so definitely take some breaks. What is a hobby of yours? Ooh, I like, I like to bake, like really love it. I've made um, and even like sometimes bringing in my engineering mind. So last year I made this like massive, like almost life-size cake Christmas uh, <laughs> tree. And then it had like working lights on it and everything. That's cool. I never heard of that before. <laughs> it was very fun. <laughs> Favorite social media platform? Um, I would say Instagram. Definitely could spend yeah. a lot. <laughs> My breaks are usually Instagram, just like scrolling. <laughs> So that was a fun activity, Janelle. Thank you for joining me today to not only discuss your um, interest in app design and your work in engineering, but also the expertise and experience that you gain, not only starting your own organization, but your journey being a woman in STEM and how that shaped you into the person you are today. Do you have any additional comments for our listeners at home? For sure. So I would say kind of two ends. Um, and this is, you know, the fun part of be in two worlds at the same time. So I'll start off anyone who would just love to like quickly talk about STEM or want some resources um, or recommendations, feel free to send me a message. Um, I realize for those that are listening, I'm mobile app queen on Twitter. That is, it was a joke made years ago and I've kind of stuck to it. Or you can find me on Instagram at Janelle underscore Hines and like underscore. Um, um, or if you're interested in saying you're looking for experiential education. So for us, what we say is get your volunteer hours, but doing it in something you're interested, like a career you're interested in. So for those that, for example, are interested in science, you might show you how to be a, like a science volunteer, like a tutor or um, a environmental organization 
Um, sometimes we have researchers reach out to us that are looking for help um, on different research projects. Um, so we will recommend you um, to those and those are very hard to come by. If you're interested in learning how to get access to that, you can just visit Helping Hands app on Instagram or helpinghandsapp.com for more information. Um, so again, I'm here to support you, whether it's your STEM journey or whether it's your experiential education volunteer uh, journey, feel free to reach out. And to see what Team Spark is up to, make sure you follow us on our socials, which could all be found at startthespark.ca. Stay tuned for next week's episode with another interesting guest. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining us on today's podcast.